<clears throat> so the next uh, section is called The Role and Position of Sati. More understanding about Sati can be gained by considering its role and position among some of the central categories of early Buddhism. Sati not only forms part of the Noble Eightfold Path, as right mindfulness, samasati, but also occupies a central position among the faculties, the indriya, and the powers, the bala, and constitutes the first member of the awakening factors, the bojanga. In these contexts, the functions of sati cover both present moment awareness and memory. Uh, so then he goes into the, these uh, description of these three areas, so that you have in the many uh, lists that the Buddha uh, comes up with. We have uh, uh, the Noble Eightfold Path is probably the most uh, familiar. Uh, and so this is the seventh factor of those eight, Samasati, uh, right mindfulness or attuned mindfulness. And then the faculties and powers, the Indriya and the Bala, uh, they're the, the, the lists of the same qualities so that they are, um, they're called powers when the, the uh, um, those five particular qualities are developed to their, their full extent, but they're the same list. And then the, the third one, the, uh, bo, uh, the seven bojangas, the seven factors of enlightenment, uh, then uh, um, sati is uh, one of those as well. So um, the, uh, the first one that he looks at is the, the faculties and the powers, the indriya. And uh, in this, you often have the image of, uh, of a, a bird is a way that is used to describe these uh, with sati at the middle, so this, the body of the bird, and then you have uh, on either side uh, energy and concentration, virya and samadhi, uh, the sort of the 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 um, inner part of the wings, on, energy on one side, concentration on the other, and then the two um, extremes of the wingtips, if you like. Uh, one is sadha, faith or confidence. And then panya, wisdom. So that the 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 list of five goes: sadhaviriya, sati, samadhi, panya, uh, faith, energy, mindfulness, concentration, wisdom. But they're they're seen as like the wings of the bird, and they balance each other. So that faith balances wisdom. Sadha and wisdom are a pair, and energy and concentration are a pair. And then sati is the the sort of coordinating and balancing factor in the center, and also the the life source for for all of, of the others. So that in itself could be a subject for at least a couple of chapters, if not a whole book. Um, but uh, that um, <coughs> mix of qualities is very significant, particularly in, in meditation, because when uh, when you have those uh, thing, uh, those qualities out of balance, so if there's too much faith and not enough wisdom, then we tend to be um, very e uh, easily convinced. We, we tend to be like a starry-eyed true believer, um, a, you know, a too much faith, not enough wisdom. There's, means there's not enough kind of uh, 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 scrutiny or so exploring and examining, questioning. If there's too much wisdom and not enough faith, then that uh, mean, the, means the mind inclines towards being sort of critical and uh, uh, agitated, uh, conceptual, and uh, never ready to trust anything. So that the um, uh, so the, it turns into like an empty intellectualism. So the, uh, and I think we can all relate to those mixtures of qualities just in our, our own experience or people that we know, that there's um, starry-eyed faith types and, and hard-bitten cynical uh, uh, conceptual types. 
and so they, they need to, to work together in terms of balancing the spiritual faculties. And then energy and concentration, virya and samadhi, they work together. So if there's too much energy and not enough concentration, then the meditation becomes very uh, agitated and uh, um, turbulent, very, the mind is very busy. Too much concentration and not enough energy, then we find ourselves very one-pointed, but um, three-quarters asleep. So the mind can be very focused, but just uh, your nose is on the carpet. So that, uh, <coughs> that is a, um, uh, another pair that need to be balanced with each other, so that energy and concentration, virya and samadhi, need to work together. Sa- and then sati is the, the, the element at the center, which is... So telling you, oh, too much, you know, too much energy. The mind's really, mind's really bouncing around here. We need to concentrate a bit more. Or oh, there's, there's not enough energy. The mind is, the mind is peaceful, but I've got this strange sensation in my nose, <laughs> pressing against the floor. So that the well, that strange, that strange sound that you're hearing is, is actually your, yourself snoring. So that uh, the. Um, uh, the quality of sati there, in that respect, is of monitoring and, and overlooking the uh, the way that the others work, and then being the balancing agent. So then, Venerable Anadiya carries on. Among the faculties, indriya and powers, bala, sati occupies the middle position. Here, sati has the function of balancing and monitoring. Thank you very much. <laughs> the other faculties and powers by becoming aware of excesses or deficiencies. Monitoring function, uh, similar to its position among the faculties and powers, can be found in the Noble Eightfold Path, where Sati occupies the middle position in the three-factored path section directly concerned with mental training. So that uh, uh, in the Eightfold Path, it's usually uh, divided up into three groups um, of sila, virtue, and and conduct, samadhi, (coughs) the mental training, and then panya, wisdom. So uh, the first two, uh, right view and right thought or right uh, resolution, um, samaditi, samasankapa, they are uh, the wisdom uh, faculties. Then the next three, right speech, right action, right livelihood, those are the, um, the conduct or sila section. And then the, uh, uh, the last three, right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration, those are the samadhi uh, or um, mind training um, uh, factors. And so what uh, Venerable Analio is saying is that uh, sati occupies the, the middle position of those, uh, those uh, last three. So right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration, they're the samadhi factors. And so uh, right, uh, samasati is the middle one of those, uh, that little bunch of three. The monitoring quality of sati is, however, not restricted to right effort and right concentration only, since according to the maha Chattarisaka Sutta, the presence of right mindfulness, is also a requirement for the other path factors. And that, um, that's a very uh, useful and significant sutta. Uh, the, it's called the Great Forty. And let's see if I can quickly conjure it up here. They always hide when you're looking for them. I don't know how they do that. But they do. There we are, 117. So the great 40, and uh, and in this, there's this very um, 
this very beautiful little image of um, the Buddha describing how um, the uh, <coughs> so uh, he talks about each of the, of the factors of the Eightfold Path and then he describes how just for example um, so talking about right view, one makes an effort to abandon wrong view and to enter upon right view. This is one's right effort. Mindfully one abandons wrong view, mindfully one enters upon and abides in right view. This is one's right mindfulness. Thus these three states run and circle around right view. That is, right view, right effort and right mindfulness. So each of the, the factors of the Eightfold Path, he describes these three, right view, samaditi, right effort, samavayamo, and right mindfulness, samasati, are sort of circling around and supporting each of the factors. If, if you imagine like a, uh, a wire with um, uh, insulation wrapped around the cable, sort of um, uh, wrapping around and protecting and supporting the, the wires, then you can think of the, those three. So right, uh, uh, right view, samaditi, right effort, and right mindfulness. And so in some of the instruction that I've been giving, uh, again, I gave at the beginning of this retreat, it was relating particularly to this, this teaching that, um, <coughs> that these are the, the three main supports for practice and for the development of the path, uh, uh, mindfulness, right, uh, right view, right mindfulness, and right effort. They're the, the kind of uh, key supports and um, qualities that help the path to be developed in the, in the most, um, uh, say, uh, efficient and, and helpful way. So that's uh, sutta number 117 in the Majima, if you want to look at that in your own time. In regard to its two neighbors in the Eightfold Path, Sati performs additional functions. In support of right effort, Sati performs a protective role by preventing the arising of unwholesome states of mind in the context of sense restraint, which in fact constitutes an aspect of right effort. In relation to right concentration, well-established Sati acts as an important foundation for the development of deeper levels of mental calm, a topic to which I will return later on. The position of sati in between the two mental qualities of energy and concentration recurs also among the faculties and the powers. The definition part of the Satipatthana Sutta also combines sati with these two qualities, which are here represented by being diligent, atapi, so that corresponds to effort, and by the absence of desires and discontent, abhicca dhamanasa. The placement of sati between energy and concentration in all these contexts mirrors a natural progression in the development of sati, since in the early stages of practice a considerable degree of energy is required to counter distraction, while well-established sati in turn leads to an increasingly concentrated and calm state of mind. So uh, Anagarika Eva has been asking about that a couple of times. So that's um, how uh, 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 he speaks about that here. Hey, you have effort and mindfulness and concentration, so the that they, uh, they are together, both in the, um, the Eightfold Path and in that um, definition section of the Satipatthana Sutta and then there in the, the powers, so that it's, uh, 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 I think, a very helpful little observation he makes there that they, they work together. So I'll just read that passage once more. The placement of sati between energy and concentration in all these contexts mirrors a natural progression in the development of sati, since in the early stages of practice a considerable degree of energy is required to counter distraction, like yeah, focus, 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 <laughs> uh, while well-established sati in turn leads to an increasingly concentrated and calm state of mind. So that then that 
the putting forth the effort to um, to pay attention and to focus um, then helps to support mindfulness. The mindfulness then supports the um, uh, increase in concentration, and then that uh, <coughs> similarly helps the um, uh, the distraction, the the um, desire and discontent to be diminished. In contrast to its middle position among the faculties and powers, and in the final section of the Noble Eightfold Path, in the list of the awakening factors, sati assumes the starting position. So in the, in the seven factors of enlightenment, uh, mindfulness is the first one. Here, sati constitutes the foundation for those factors that bring about realization. Since in relation to the faculties, powers, and factors of the Noble Eightfold Path, sati is clearly distinguished from associated factors like energy, wisdom, and concentration, sati has to be something clearly different from them in order to merit separate listing. Similarly, since sati is differentiated from the awakening factor investigation of dhammas, that's dhamma-vichaya, the task of investigating dhammas cannot be identical with the activity of awareness, otherwise there would have been no need to introduce it as a separate term. In this case, however, the activity of sati is closely related to the investigation of dhammas, since according to the Anapanasati Sutta, the awakening factors arise sequentially, with investigation of dhammas arising consequent on the presence of sati. So uh, in the, the Mindfulness of Breathing Sutta, uh, the, the seven factors of enlightenment are listed as a, a, as a sort of sequential progression. So having established mindfulness, that leads then to in, uh, investigation and quality of uh, exploring that quality of exploring then leads to more energy and then energy leads to rapture uh, rapture then leads to uh, <coughs> uh, to tranquility pasati um, and then that tranquility leads to concentration samadhi and samadhi leads to equanimity so that it's, it's sort of spelled out as a an individual progression uh, in other places, um, in, uh, in other aspects of the teaching, then rather than the seven factors of enlightenment being enlightenment being uh, like a, a sort of A leads to B, B leads to C, C leads to D, uh, they can also be seen as um, qualities of the awake mind that are all present together. So that you can say, when the mind is is free of grasping, when the mind is fully awake, then all those qualities are, are present. Just like, like you can say, water has uh, has temperature, has viscosity, uh, has um, clarity, uh, you know, <coughs> all those different qualities are there in the water. Um, you can say that the enlightened mind is uh, energetic, it investigates, it's mindful, it's tranquil, it's concentrated, uh, it's uh, equanimous and, and joyful. So it has all those qualities simultaneously. So it's one of those uh, those uh, say um, patterns are, that the Buddha describes that both work as a, um, a sequence, like you can also describe the Eightfold Path as a, as a sequence, but also they they uh, uh, also they are equally um, uh, to be understood as a set of interrelated qualities that, that mutually support each other. Coming back to right mindfulness as a factor of the Noble Eightfold Path, it's noteworthy that the term sati is repeated within the definition of right mindfulness. 
This repetition is not merely accidental, but rather points to a qualitative distinction between right mindfulness, samasati, as a path factor, and mindfulness as a general mental factor. In fact, numerous discourses mention wrong mindfulness, micha sati, which suggests that certain forms of sati can be quite different from right mindfulness. And there's an extensive footnote there, and this was uh, I was mentioning a bit yesterday how um, Ajahn Jayasaro uh, pulled me up on a particular point I made in um, an, uh, an essay that I wrote for a, a journal about saying that sati, uh, in its uh, in its uh, its essence, was a neutral quality didn't have any particular intrinsically uh, wholesome or moral aspect. And he said, <coughs> yeah, in the Abhidharma it actually spells out that it, it does. But uh, then uh, I came across this passage here from um, Venerable Analio's Reflections. And uh, he, as he points out in his note, um, there's uh, maybe 12 or 15, maybe 20 different references he, 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 he lists where the Buddha speaks about uh, mitya sati, or wrong types of sati. As he says, uh, the substantial number of references to wrong types of sati to some extent disagrees with the commentarial presentation of sati as an exclusively wholesome mental factor. This presentation of the commentaries causes, in fact, a practical difficulty. How to reconcile sati as a wholesome factor in, with satipatthana in relation to the hindrances? if wholesome and unwholesome mental qualities cannot coexist in the same state of mind. So that you can be, in the Satipatthana, you can be mindful of an angry mind. You, know, you can be mindful of, a, of an agitated mind. So it's a, an unwholesome state, but you can be mindful of it. So he's pointing out that that doesn't quite match the, um, it's not as tidy as the commentaries would like it to be. You know, the, the Abhidhamma and commentaries tend to like to have everything all neatly arranged in their boxes and clear defined lines between them but uh, he's uh, pointing out that in the, the suttas that doesn't really back up that kind of um, simplicity <clears throat> okay so to carry on in fact numerous discourses mention wrong mindfulness sati, which suggests that certain forms of sati can be quite different from right mindfulness According to this definition, sati requires the support of being diligent, atapi, and of clearly knowing, sampajana. It is this combination of mental qualities, supported by a state of mind free from desires and discontent, and directed towards the body, feelings, the mind, and dhammas, which becomes the path factor of right mindfulness. So he's saying that, that uh, the samasati of, of the Eightfold Path is... The, um, the, the mindfulness as developed through Satipatthana, so that when there is that atapi, there's diligence, uh, sampajana, clear knowing, and, uh, free, and the um, vinaya, abhija, dhammanasa, freedom from desire and discontent, that is what gives you samasati, that gives you the right mindfulness rather than the other kinds of um, confused or distorted sorts of mindfulness, micha satis. It is this combination of mental qualities supported by a state, a state of mind free from desires and discontent and directed towards the body, feelings, mind and dhammas which becomes the path factor of right mindfulness. In the Manibhadda Sutta, the Buddha pointed out that sati on its own, despite its manifold advantages, might not suffice for eradication of ill will. This passage indicates that additional factors are needed in combination with sati such as being diligent and clearly knowing in the case of developing Satipatthana. 
and that the uh, um, that <coughs> Manibada Sutta uh, it says, uh, being mindful, one is always blessed. Being mindful, one dwells happily. Being mindful, one lives better each day, and one is free from ill will. The Buddha in, then repeated the first three lines, but corrected the fourth line to read, yet one is not free from ill will. Thus, the central point in the Buddha's answer was to emphasize that sati alone might not suffice for eradicating ill will. This does, however, not mean that sati is incapable of preventing the arising of ill will, since its uh, presence goes a long way in helping one to remain calm when confronted with the anger of others. So that uh, is one of those, those points where the, the Buddha says, yes, that's true, but, <laughs> and, and qualifies someone's uh, observations about, about Dhamma, so that, um, yeah, there can be mindfulness, but, uh, but also there can, there can be sort of a, a, a uh, ill will still in the mixture. So then just to finish this, this section, uh, thus in order to constitute right mindfulness, sati has to cooperate with various other mental qualities. However, for the purpose of clearly defining sati, which is my present task, I will consider sati in isolation from these other mental factors in order to discern its most essential features. So, and that's just underscoring what he, he said, so that the, the sati of samasati uh, has got these other elements, the other factors that, that uh, support it, and it needs to have those for it to be sama. Um, but he's going to go on to look at um, just sort of mindfulness in, in and of itself. Any questions? Yes, Suti san. I'm not sure that I need to observe um, how it can be not the white and sati, but micha sati. Micha sati? Well, you can very mindfully walk into somebody's room and steal something from their. From their their cupboard. You're 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 paying attention to what you're doing, but <laughs> you're 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 stealing something. So that would be there's mindfulness, there's sati, but it's it's a micha sati. It's like a. Uh, I didn't look up all of these references. There really is a lot. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. There's about twenty different references there. Um, but that would be one uh, one easy example. I thought it could be like kind of like a summer sati, but it's a um, wrong view, uh, you know, because the sati could be the neutral. <laughs> well, there, 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 I think there's a, there's a variety of different kinds of, of wrong sati, um, and uh, um, so uh, as I said, I, I didn't look up all these uh, these references. Uh, he has about twenty of them uh, here, um, but it's uh, it can also be that that, that uh, wrong uh, like where you are um, you feel that you're being mindful, like you can uh, be uh, convinced that you're wide awake during the meditation, but actually be um, be very uh, very fast asleep or listening to a dhamma talk. I remember. Um, vividly at uh, one many years ago at Chithurst where um, Lumpur Sumedho was giving a Dhamma talk and, and there was a, a visiting monk there I won't mention any names but you know, during the, uh, as soon as Lumpur Sumedho started talking within about a couple of minutes the monk was kind of nodding sitting he was one of the senior monks who was sitting there and he was kind of lurching around all over the place kind of right in front of Lumpur Sumedho like really sort of 
in grand ways that you thought he was going to fall off. That was before they had the flat floor at Chithurst. They had this, what they called the pit. So there was this this kind of drop in front of, uh, of where he was sitting, and he was kind of lurching around, kind of reeling all over the place. And, and uh, <coughs> one of and for the whole duration of the Dhamma talk, and then as soon as Lumpur Samadhi got to the end and said, you know, you know, after this for your reflection, you can... <laughs> yeah. it's not an uncommon experience. And then, uh, so one of the other venerables after that said, you know, was really upset and went to him and said, how could you do that? Do what? It was so rude. What do you mean? What was rude? Why well, you were falling asleep all over the place in front of Lumpur. You know, Lumpur was giving that talk. It was a really fantastic Dhamma talk, and you were just all over the place. No, I wasn't. <laughs> you were all over the. F- you were. You were all over the map. You were. Com- had you? You practically fell off the arson a couple of times. I did not. I was wide awake. I heard every word. <laughs> so, from subjectively, he thought he was wide awake. He had no. You know, his his window of, of consciousness had narrowed to a tiny little pinpoint, but he felt he was being mindful and fully aware, but it was, uh, there, was a lot, there was substantially mitya. <laughs> but uh, he was not as, as self-aware as he thought he was. There was not atapi or sampajana there. Does that make sense? Yeah, there's, uh, if, you, if you look up the reference in the, in the book here... Um, <coughs> it's because um, uh, it's also it's uh, the way he lists these. They're 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 listed in the academic fashion, so they're all divided up according to the Pali edition of the sutta. So that you uh, you have to sort of hunt through the the book. So it might say Majima Roman one forty two, and that's that's you have to sort of uh, it, it doesn't that doesn't tell you what exactly what number sutta it is. You have to sort of hunt through and find that on the. So it's not easy to track down each reference. Which uh, may I just say something? At the end of the book, there's a list of the different numbers which refers to the um, Bodhi um, edition. Just in the very end. The very end. Um. Well, anyway, it's just it's uh, it takes a little bit of work. You have to yeah. have a bit more atapi <laughs> to, to follow it up, but. Uh, it's uh, there's um, a great variety of different. Uh, there's sort of every every one of the eightfold path has a mitya, like mitya ditti, wrong view. There's lots of different kinds of wrong view, like the Brahmajala Sutta. There's 62 kinds of wrong view. You know, 62 kinds of mitya ditti just mentioned in one sutta. So um, there's all kinds of ways of getting things wrong. Yes, Ajahn Jodhapala. Yes. I was thinking about this. Yes. <laughs> uh, why you don't apply yeah. right sati, but 
latest when you notice what the result is in the old pair, you know, I, I forgot Oops. to think about the cause and effect or, you know, didn't include that. And that would maybe uh, apply also to, you know, um, you can rob a bank, bank very mindfully, but when you're caught by the police, you know, you lost part of the picture. Mm -hmm. So it's not seeing the whole picture, it's just... You know, yes, you know. yeah, that's part of it, yeah. Uh, so I wonder whether, I don't know whether that would satisfy a scholar. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, th I think it's, uh, the, th as I was saying, in Abhidhamma in particular, they're, they're always trying to make things in, in very neat divisions. And and uh, you know, it's, and then the way that they try to, to, um, to uh, sort of, excuse it also they say the, the commentaries attempt to resolve the contradiction like, like how you can have mindfulness of unwholesome states the commentaries attempt to resolve this contradiction by presenting satipatthana of a defiled state of mind as a quick alternation between mind moments associated with sati and those under the influence of the defilement so, so going back and forth uh, very quickly um, that between a, a mind moment of you've still got the defilement going on, but then there's an yeah, it's interspersed with other mind moments of being mindful of it, um, and that's uh, what we would call a fudge, I would say. <laughs> the, the Venerable Analia is not convinced by it, and I'm not convinced either. Um, but uh, that's that's how they get around it. And he says, Analia says, this explanation is, however, not convincing, since with either the defilement or else sati being absent. Satipatthana contemplation of the presence of a defilement in one's mind becomes impossible. Further, uh, and, so, and also, um, he quotes some uh, work by um, studies by Rupert Gettin, and also, um, according to the Savastivada tradition, sati is an inde indeterminate mental factor. So, from the northern Buddhist uh, tradition, then uh, sati on its own is, a, is not either wholesome or unwholesome, it's, it's indeterminate. That, yeah, you had a question. Yeah, well, I was going to say the, the alternation point that you, that you just mentioned, mm -hmm. the Abhidhamma, that that's probably how they would explain it, but so, so I'm not going to say that you just said it, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but actually that leads to uh, a question from that. Now, now I'm wondering how should one take, I mean, this is a bit for the Abhidhamma points, then, I mean, should it be taken as an authority of these kinds of themes and diagrams and flow of mind moments and all that? Well, my, um, I have to admit to being very biased because my teachers, uh, Lumpo Samedo Lumpo Cha, were completely uninterested in Abhidhamma. So that's what I've inherited. Um, you know, I, I, I like boxes myself. I'm a great list maker. and I like the, the tables function in Microsoft Word. You know, making little boxes and lists and num putting everybody in their, their places and little arrows between them. It's, uh, I really, in, the satisfaction I get <laughs> having everything all neatly lined up, all the ducks in their row and everything sort of arranged as it should be. And, but uh, life is a lot messier than that. And so, uh, so Lumpo Cha, um, even though he had the, the um, basic education and, and sort, of mon uh, sort of monastic schooling in, in uh, Abhidhamma and uh, <coughs> those those kind of um, 
ways of describing experience and reality. Then uh, when he began to practice uh, and was, became, was a, a meditation monk, and he, he started to try and map his experience against both Vinaya and, and Abhidhamma, he kept coming across these difficulties of well, the, the, um, what you get in the commentaries, like uh, uh, with the Visuddhi Magga. Yeah, he he uh, he's tried to to shape his conduct around what was described in the Visuddhi Magga as sort of what the perfect how the perfect monk should be, and he realised you can't you can't live like this. It's, this is impossible to to carry out all these instructions. You can't do this. And similarly, when he tried to look at uh, Abhidhamma and see how his mind worked, and he just kept coming across this sense of well, I don't think it works like that. Or, uh, it's, it, that's what the book says, but I, I can't see how that. It doesn't seem to work that way for me, and so uh, through that that uh, lineage, um, the forest tradition in Thailand is is kind of anti-academic, and so it's like a deliberate turning away from the um, the sort of conceptual uh, structures and uh, using direct experience, and so that's what uh, in Lumpur Char it's sort of received from his teachers like. Uh, Lumpur Tongrat, Lumpur Man, and and Lumpur Kinneri, and and so that's what so certainly I've inherited. If you go to Burma, um, then people are studying Abhidhamma like from I mean, primary school. You can <laughs> really uh, you start. Uh, I don't know how it is in Sri Lanka, but certainly uh, in in Burma, they uh, the all of the meditation practice seems to be very closely aligned to, to Abhidhamma studies as well. So they haven't sort of parted company, so that there's much more of the meditation instruction and approach is, is in line with what you find in Abhidhamma books. But in Thailand, and particularly the Thai forest tradition, it's not, it's not so much connected to that. And so they go far more on the basis of, of individual experience. So some place, it's not to, to, to rubbish it altogether, uh, but um, they would put the experience of the individual first and then the, the books second. Like a, uh, Ajahn Buddha Dasa put it very succinctly. He said, "Abhi means much, too much." <laughs> That's kind of the end of the story. And he had a pretty amazing mind. Yeah, you know. you know, his the shelf of books he's written is about this long. You know, he's like this really serious intellect. But he didn't. No, I think it's significant that he didn't put much time and in, in effort into Abhidhamma or teaching that. Ajahn Buddha Dasa. From uh, Watsuan Mok in southern Thailand. Yeah, he's uh, probably the, one of the most uh, famous um, writers and, and ex, uh, exponents of, of Dhamma. He was very, uh, very strong on using the suttas rather than the commentarial tradition. And a lot of Buddhist education in Thailand was based on commentaries and like Visuddhimagga or the Dhammapada commentary. And um, he was very ardent in getting people to read the suttas and translating suttas into Thai. And he was the one who put all the, the morning and evening chanting into, into Thai language. It used to be just done in Pali, so that the, the Pali and Thai, um, that was his, his translation and he started that as a, as a practice. Um, and because people didn't have, didn't understand what they were chanting, and then he would use the the suttas uh, very much as a, a a basis for his teaching and and 
steer people away from the, the commentarial tradition because he felt there was so much richness in the suttas that people uh, didn't study for themselves and so he was he really was a major force in, in Thailand in encouraging that. And that's one of the reasons Ajahn Chah had, had one picture on the wall behind him at his kuti and it was a picture of Ajahn Buddhadasa right above his head where he used to receive people under his kuti at Wat Bapong had a picture of Ajahn Buddhadasa above his head so when you went to see Ajahn Chah, he had the Ajahn Buddha sitting there. <laughs> and and uh, even though he wasn't out of the Ajahn Man lineage, Ajahn Chah felt that he was really um, uh, extraordinarily skillful and reliable as a, as a teacher, and he really supported that using the sutta teachings and your own experience to go by. So... Um, but I, I can't really speak authoritatively about Abhidhamma because I know... I've never studied it because I never had any encouragement from my beloved Acharyas for that. Okay, we can go on a bit. <clears throat> so the next section is called Sati Imagery. The significance and various nuances of the term Sati are illustrated by a considerable number of images and similes in the discourses. If these images and similes are examined and their implications drawn out, additional insights can be gained into how the Buddha and his contemporaries understood the term sati. A simile in the Deveda Vitaka Sutta describes a cowherd who had to watch closely over his cows to prevent them from straying into fields where the crop was ripe. But once the crop was harvested, he was able to relax, sit under a tree and watch over them at a distance. To express this comparatively relaxed and distant manner of observation, sati is used. The disposition suggested by this simile is a calm and detached type of observation. So this is another great sutta, like the, um, the Great Forty is a very, very useful meditation sutta. This one, the, the Dveda Vitaka sutta, the two kinds of thinking, is also very helpful. So this is sutta number 19 in the Majima. And uh, uh, <coughs> this is the um, in these modern times, the uh, uh, mindfulness-based stress reduction and mindfulness-based cognitive therapy. These are um, very commonly spoken about. And so the, um, uh, this sutta describes in, in essentially what's the basis of mindfulness-based uh, cognitive therapy, in my humble opinion, <laughs> and from the discussions I had with various people in the field. So, this is uh, the, uh, the Buddha speaking. Bhikkhus, whatever a bhikkhu frequently thinks and ponders up upon, that will become the inclination of his mind. If he frequently thinks and ponders upon thoughts of sensual desire, he has abandoned the thought of renunciation to cultivate the thought of sensual desire, and then his mind inclines to thoughts of sensual desire. If he frequently thinks and ponders upon thoughts of ill will, upon thoughts of cruelty, he has abandoned the thought of non-cruelty to cultivate the thought of cruelty, and then his mind inclines towards uh, to thoughts of cruelty. So this is a neuroplasticity, uh, uh, where literally where what you think about that be be the the mental rut that you make. It also makes physical ruts. You, you, there's a, an actual impact on the fabric of the brain of what we um, do with our thoughts and what we put our attention on. And so that uh, the, the, this observation of the Buddha uh, two and a half thousand years ago is, is um, a very um, current topic. And then he uses this image of the cows that he was, um, uh, Venerable Analia was talking about. 
Just as in the last month of the rainy season, in the autumn, when the crops thicken, a cowherd would guard his cows by constantly tapping and poking them on this side and on that with a stick to check and curb them. Why is that? Because he sees that he could be flogged, imprisoned, fined or blamed if he let them stray into the crops. So too I saw in unwholesome states danger, degradation and defilement, and in wholesome states the blessing of renunciation, the aspect of cleansing. So he's also, I should mention that in this sutta, the Buddha is describing his own practice before his enlightenment, and he, he divided his thoughts into two categories, into the wholesome and the unwholesome. And so he, uh, when there's unwholesome thoughts, then you keep close watch on the cow, because like, um, the, the crops are thick in the fields, and if the cows wander in and start eating all the young rice plants, then you're really in trouble. You're going to get blamed by your boss, or imprisoned, or fined, or flogged. <coughs> And so then, uh, the later passage says, uh, Bhikkhus, whatever a bhikkhu frequently thinks and ponders upon, that will become the inclination of his mind. If he frequently thinks and ponders upon thoughts of renunciation, he has abandoned the thought of sensual desire to cultivate the thought of renunciation, and then his mind inclines to thoughts of renunciation. If he frequently thinks and ponders upon thoughts of non-ill will, thoughts of, of kindness, benevolence, upon thoughts of non-cruelty, i.e. compassion, Metta and Karuna, he has abandoned the thought of cruelty to cultivate thoughts of non-cruelty, compassion, and then his mind inclines to thoughts of non-cruelty. Then the second image with the cows. Just as in the last month of the hot season, when all the crops have been brought inside the village, uh, the villages, sorry, when all the crops have been brought inside the villages, a cowherd would guard his cows while staying at the root of a tree or out in the open, since he needs only to be mindful that the cows are there. So too, there was a need for me only to be mindful that those states were there. So basically, if it's, if it's unwholesome states, you, know, you need to watch very, very closely because the, 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 the mind is going to create negative karma and, and, and create uh, dangerous ruts. Uh, and uh, and the, the, like the cow wandering into the, the lush crops and destroying them and you getting punished. But in the hot season, there's no crops in the fields. They've all been brought in. You can just snooze under a tree and let the cows wander wherever they like because they're not going to cause any damage. You're not going to cause any harm. You're not going to get punished or flogged. So that uh, <clears throat> if it's, the mind is, is a dwelling on wholesome states, you don't have to have the same kind of um, acute caution and concern. And you have this image of just... Um, staying at the root of a tree um, and uh, just let the, you know, let the cows wander where they like. So that's a really uh, interesting kind of pair of images, at least to me, that uh, the, um, <coughs> we don't have to be so uh, uh, hyper-attentive if there's wholesome states. You, know, you can freely uh, let uh, loving-kindness and compassion be, be developed. And um, uh, if the mind is inclined towards renunciation, yes, there's, uh, you can just sort of... Let that, let that happen easily and freely, but if uh, the mind is moving towards a sense desire or ill will and so forth, then there's that uh, urge to, to um, constantly tap and poke them on the side, this side and that to, to keep them uh, uh, from causing trouble. Again, probably not many of us have had spent much time... Hmm? Number 19, the two kinds of thinking in the Majjhima Nikaya. So there's a, in that section, you have three different uh, suttas that are all very useful for meditation, all next to each other. You have the, 
the Madhu Pindika Sutta, the, the sweet morsel, is Sutta number 18. That's about conceptual proliferation. Uh, about Papancha? <laughs> conceptual proliferation. Uh, the ex-venerable Nipa Pancho's name is related, means freedom from conceptual proliferation. So uh, that's number 18, Madhupindika Sutta. Then this one, Two Kinds of Thought, number 19. And then Sutta number 20 is um, the removal of distracting thoughts. So those three are, are all really useful meditation teachings. Well, they're all just there together in the Majjhima Nikaya. So to carry on a little bit. Another simile supporting this quality of detached observation occurs in a verse in the Tarakata, which compares the practice of Satipatthana to climbing an elevated platform or tower. Connotations of aloofness, so being above things, and uninvolved detachment are confirmed by the context of this passage, which contrasts the tower image to being carried away by the stream of desire. So you're up in your tower, you're safe from the flood rather than down in the creek bottom and carried away by the, by the floods of, of the passions. Detachment comes up again in the Dantabhumi Sutta, the grade of the tamed, which compares Satipatthana to the taming of a wild elephant. Just as a recently captured elephant has to be gradually weaned of its forest habits, so too Satipatthana can gradually wean a monk from memories and intentions related to the household life. Another simile compares sati to the probe of a surgeon, like the the thing that you dig into a wound and and have a look and see what's, uh, what's happened in the injury. The probe of a surgeon. Like a surgeon's probe, whose function is to provide information about the wound for subsequent treatment, so too the probe, sati, can be used to carefully gather information, thereby preparing the ground for subsequent action. This ground-preparing quality is conveyed again by another simile, relating sati to the goad and the plowshare of a farmer. So the goad is a, like a stick that you, uh, you tap the, the cow with, like a, a whip for the horse. So, and a plowshare is the blade of the, the plow that digs into the ground to, to cut the earth open. Just as a farmer has first to plow the ground in order to be able to sow the seeds, so too sati fulfills an important preparatory role for the arising of wisdom. This role of sati in support of the arising of wisdom occurs again in another simile, which associates the parts of an elephant's body with mental qualities and factors. Here sati is compared to the elephant's neck, the natural support for its head, which in the same simile represents wisdom. The choice of the elephant's neck is of additional significance since it is a characteristic of both elephants and Buddhas to look around by turning with the whole body instead of only with the head. So that's if some of you have come across that phrase, the elephant look, uh, what it means is that the Buddha never turned his neck like that. He turned from the waist. It's called the elephant look, like the queen. Her Majesty never looks over her shoulder, she... This, by my limited reckoning and observation of the royal family, that's uh, a sort of <coughs> exactly why the, the the Buddha did that is subject for debate and opinion. But that's one of the characteristics. So when you see that in the suttas, the Buddha turned with the elephant look. It's like an elephant turns with the whole body. 
The elephant's neck then represents the quality of giving full attention to a matter at hand uh, as a feature of sati. Although the elephant look is a specific characteristic of the Buddha, to give continuous and full attention to a matter at hand is a characteristic common to all arahants. This is illustrated in another simile which compares sati to the single spoke of a chariot. In this simile, the rolling chariot represents the bodily activities of an arahant, all of which take place with the support of a single spoke, sati. The supportive role of sati in the development of wisdom comes up again in a verse from the Sutta Nipata, where sati keeps the streams in, uh, in this world in check, so that the faculty of wisdom can cut them off. This verse in particular uh, points to the role of sati in relation to restraint at the sense doors as a basis for the development of wisdom. What the similes of the surgeon's probe, the plowshare, the elephant's neck, and keeping the streams in check have in common is that they illustrate the preparatory role of sati for insight. <coughs> According to these similes, sati is the mental quality that enables wisdom to arise. So again, you've got that connection between sati and panya. Uh, sort of mindfulness is the... The preparing the ground or is the, sort of the, the, the doorway to wisdom. Another simile found in the Sanghita Nikaya compares sati to a careful charioteer. This brings to mind the monitoring and steering quality of sati in relation to other mental factors, such as the faculties and the powers. The qualities evoked by this simile are careful and balanced supervision. A similar nuance can be found in another simile, which compares mindfulness in relation to the body to carrying a bowl full of oil on one's head, vividly illustrating the balancing quality of sati. So the the uh, the Buddha uh, the Buddha um, said that the uh, one particular instance where uh, when was asked how much mindfulness do you need for enlightenment, he said if you were carrying a bowl full of oil that's is brimful so that the it, it, uh, there's a meniscus it bows up on top and you're carrying it through a crowded marketplace where the, the stage is filled with dancing girls and, and everybody in the town is is crowded there and you've got a, a man with a, a and the executioner behind you with a sword and if you if you spill one drop of the oil then off comes your head so the buddha was a, a genius at coming up with these very Graphic images. Oh, that amount of mindfulness, right. <laughs> right, so the, you, you kind of get that image of you know, trying to get through a bus station uh, or get through a crowded marketplace without uh, spilling a drop. The quality of careful supervision occurs again in yet another simile in which sati is personified by the gatekeeper of a town. The simile portrays messengers arriving at the town gate with an urgent message to be delivered to the king. The function of the gatekeeper is to inform them of the shortest route to the king. The gatekeeper image occurs again elsewhere in relation to the defense of a town. This town has energy, virya, as its troops, and wisdom, panya, as its fortification. While the function of the gatekeeper, sati, is to recognize the genuine citizens of the town and to allow them to enter the gates. Both of these similes associate sati with having clear overview of the situation. The second simile, moreover, brings out the restraining function of bare sati, a function of, uh, which is of particular relevance in relation to restraint of the sense doors. 
This brings to mind the above-mentioned passage where sati was to keep the streams in this world in check. Just as the presence of a gatekeeper prevents those not entitled from entering the town, so too the presence of well-established sati prevents the arising of unwholesome associations and reactions at the sense doors. The same, so when you see something that you like, you don't immediately chase after it, or something that you dislike, you don't immediately sort of react and, and uh, attack it. The same protective role of sati also underlies uh, other passages which introduce sati as the one factor that guards the mind, or as a mental quality able to exert a controlling influence on thoughts and intentions. A discourse in the Anguttara Nikaya compares the practice of Satipatthana to a cowherd's skill in knowing the proper pasture for his cows. So a lot of cows in the Pali Even to, still today, they're very important in Indian life, but the, in the, the Buddha's India, they were very much a feature of many people's upbringing. So the image of a proper pasture occurs again in the Maha Gopalaka Sutta. That's the greater discourse on the cowherd throwing into relief the importance of Satipatthana contemplation for growth and development on the path to deliverance. Another discourse implies the same image to describe the situation of a monkey who has to avoid straying into regions visited by hunters. Just as the monkey, wishing to be safe, has to keep to its proper pasture, so too practitioners of the path should keep to their proper pasture, which is Satipatthana. Since one of the above passages explains sensual pleasures to be an improper pasture, like a pasture is a kind of field or a uh, place where you would um, gather food. Uh, this set of images depicting Satipatthana as one's proper pasture points to the restraining role of bare awareness in regard to sense input. The stabilizing function established, um, this stabilizing function of established mindfulness in regard to distraction by way of the six sense doors is exemplified in another simile by a strong post to which six different wild animals are bound. No matter how much each, wild, uh, each animal might struggle to get off it on its own, the strong post, sati, will remain stable and unshaken. So that is one of the, another one of these fantastic images, uh, marvelously graphic, that the Buddha came up with. Uh, he uh, has an endlessly inventive mind. So uh, if you imagine a crocodile, let's see if I can get, get, remember the six, a crocodile, a monkey, a snake, a dog, a jackal, uh, and a bird. And they are all uh, tied together. So you get a, a rope. So, uh, uh, and the, so all these six are tied to each other. The, the, a crocodile, a jackal, a dog, a bird, a monkey, and a snake. And as you said, <clears throat> when they're, they're tied together, then uh, each one of them likes a different element. So the crocodile likes to get into the water. The snake likes to dig into, the, go into its burrow. The monkey likes to climb up into the trees in the forest. The jackal wants to go to the cremation ground. The dog wants to go to the village, and the bird wants to fly. So whichever one is the strongest, you know, they'll pull the others into their elements. So if the crocodile is the strongest, it'll drag them all into the water. But then the crocodile gets tired of swimming, and then they pull it out of the water, and then the the um, the others drag. Uh, drag it off into a different direction. So this is the image of the six senses. Whichever is dominating at any particular time will drag the others along with it. So this, uh, again, is a fantastically graphic image that the Buddha comes up with. So basically it's a schlamazel. It's a complete mess. You know, all these six animals all tied together. Um, people, I'm sure, have um, images of, well, that's, that's animal cruelty. You couldn't do that. Yeah, that's, that's really a, an inappropriate image, Ajahn. It's, <laughs> but it's, it's just a... Uh, 
like the the six blind people and the elephant. It's it's just an image, <laughs> but uh, but you can get the picture of this completely chaotic mess, and but, uh, that would come from those animals all striving against each other, and how when there's no mindfulness, that's what uh, that's what we experience uh, the between the eye, ear, nose, tongue, body, and mind, whichever. Um, sense door is is most active. That's the one that's going to dominate the mind door, or the body door, or the tongue door, or the ear door, or the eye door. Uh, and so then the, the the Buddha says, but if you have a firm pillar pounded into the ground, and then you tie all the six animals to that one firm pillar, then each one is going to tug in a different direction. But they all, but no matter how hard they tug, they're not going to get anywhere. So they all sort of give up and go and become quiet eventually. And so he said, uh, uh, in this simile, what is the pillar that is pounded into the ground that the six animals are tied to? This is mindfulness directed towards the body. Uh, that is the the pillar um, that uh, the this the, if the if the pillar uh, of mindfulness uh, directed towards the body is established, then that will help the six senses: uh, eye, ear, nose, tongue, body, and mind to become tranquil and integrated and and. Uh, become calmed and as uh, Venerable Analio says um, that uh, uh, he'll go into this that passage a bit more when he gets on to mindfulness of the body Ajahn Jitapala looks like she's on the brink of saying something yeah, I, <laughs> one of your animals is escaping <laughs> uh, each of them trying to, you know, fall, and then they were kind of uh, pulling each other all, all over the place. And then somebody with strong body awareness was needed, you know, and then they all were tied to him, and then they tried to pull him away. So, Jez? Yeah, Jez <laughs> did very well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you should have got a film of that one. That would have been. Yeah, well, that's ideal. So that's a really good way of demonstrating that. But it's a, it's a wonderful image, and uh, and the, you know the the, the also it underscores the importance of, of mindfulness directed towards the body. Um, okay, let's finish off this paragraph then. No matter how much each animal might struggle to get off on its own, the strong post sati will remain stable and unshaken. Such a stabilizing function of sati is of particular relevance during the initial stages of satipatthana practice, given that without a firm foundation in balanced awareness, one only too easily succumbs to sensual distraction. <coughs> this danger is illustrated in the Chatuma Sutta, which describes a monk who goes begging for alms without having established sati and therefore without restraint at the sense doors. Encountering a scantily clad woman on his tour causes sensual desire to arise in his mind, so that he eventually decides to give up his practice and to disrobe. So there you go. And uh, just to underscore, uh, there's a little passage in the discourse on mindfulness of the body, the Kayagata Sati Sutta, which is 119. Uh, again, there's a this collection of suttas are quite close to each other. You've got the, the Great Forty is 117, then the Mindfulness of Breathing uh, Anapanasati Sutta is 118, and then this Mindfulness of the Body Sutta is 119. So you've got another little cluster of very useful suttas.
and um, the Buddha talks about the usefulness of mindfulness of the body here. Because when anyone has not developed and cultivated mindfulness of the body, Mara finds an opportunity and a support in him. Suppose a man were to throw a heavy stone ball upon a mound of wet clay. What do you think, Because Would that heavy ball find entry into that mound of wet clay? Yes, Venerable Sir. So too, because when anyone has not developed and cultivated mindfulness of the body, Mara finds an opportunity and a support in him. Suppose there were a dry, sapless piece of wood, and a man came along with an upper fire stick thinking, I shall light a fire, I shall produce heat. What do you think, Bhikkhus? Could the man light a fire and produce heat by rubbing the dry, sapless piece of wood with an upper fire stick? Yes, Venerable Sir. So too, Bhikkhus, when anyone has not developed and cultivated mindfulness of the body, Mara finds an opportunity and a support in him. Because when anyone has, has developed and cultivated mindfulness of the body, Mara cannot find an opportunity or a support in him. Suppose a man were to throw a light ball of string at a door panel made entirely of heartwood. What do you think, Because Would that light ball of string find entry through that door panel made entirely of heartwood? No, Venerable Sir. So too, Because when anyone has developed and cultivated mindfulness of the body, Mara cannot find an opportunity or a support in him. Suppose there were a wet, sappy piece of wood, and a man came along with an upper fire stick, thinking, I shall light a fire, I shall produce heat. What do you think, Bhikkhus? Could that man light a fire and produce heat by taking the upper fire stick and rubbing it against a wet, sappy piece of wood? No, Venerable Sir. So too, Bhikkhus. When anyone has developed and cultivated mindfulness of the body, Mara cannot find an opportunity or a support in him. So, again, that's a useful little images and um, so even though not many of us have done much cow herding I suspect <laughs> that uh, we could relate to that uh, you know, uh, 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 a hard ball going into a, a lump of, of wet clay <coughs> oh, it goes in or a little ball of string bouncing off a door like, no it doesn't get it doesn't enter so that, that uh, those are images that we can very easily relate to so I think that's enough for today